Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. The questions that we've dealt with have been pretty easy so far to answer, but there are many that are not. Those that are not are not because we don't have biblical precedent or backing, but because of how people would respond or because some people think that the church takes too hard of a stance on biblical issues and some think that we're becoming too soft or too afraid to speak on those particular issues. And and I think one of the questions that a lot of people have these days, uh, really for centuries, is, is, is a struggle to find an answer about suffering in our world. If there is a God in heaven uh, who, who is uh, who is all loving and all powerful, why is there suffering and death? Now, we, we can pretty much answer questions like that with, an, with another one that basically asks, why do bad things happen to good people? All right? A lot of people want to know that. And there are no easy answers to, that, uh, to questions like that because Christians have struggled with the problem of pain and hurt and suffering since Adam and Eve had to bury their son Abel killed by his brother Cain. It, it's, it's easy to give you know, the, these, these cliche answers about suffering when others are going through it, right? But when it's your own loved one uh, in the accident or when it's your child in the hospital, when it's your parent dying of physical trauma, when it's your job that's been eliminated, when it's it's your marriage falling apart, when it's you that's been abused, those answers seem shallow at best and sometimes even a little insulting. And we think that if God is God and that we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus Christ, then there will be no financial problems in our family. Our children will not be buried before us. We'll be healthy until we're 90 years old. We probably won't say those kinds of things out loud, but we do think them at times. We just don't want people to know about it. And thinking like that indicates that we have these expectations of what God should be doing for us. And when, we, and when tough times come, we start to wonder what kind of God is up there. Uh, a Holocaust survivor put it this way. If this is the best God can do, why doesn't he resign and let someone more competent take his place? That's, that's rough. I mean, you talk about being in a dark place. And before we talk about how uh, we navigate through suffering, let's talk about whether or not God is really the one to blame for suffering in this world. Because the Bible teaches that God doesn't want people to suffer. In Lamentations 30.33, it says, God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. God wants his children to enjoy life to its fullest, to have a joy that surpasses all human understanding. And if that's what he wants, then where does suffering and where does pain come from? Why? And to understand that some suffering, uh, it does fall at, at our own feet because of our own sin, our own choices. We can't ever forget that. If we commit a crime, we can lose our jobs and maybe even go to jail. If we have no sexual morals, we can get the STDs and hurt or lose our significant other. If we are consumers of anything that hurts the body, then expect there's going to be some physical pain to that. 
Because God created us, and in his love for us, he has shared with us the best way to live and what to avoid for a life of joy and real peace. Now, when we ignore the creator of our bodies, his instructions, and we, push our, we begin to push ourselves outside of God's limitations, and there will be some consequences to that. Think about this, all right? If you decide to go run out on a busy highway and play chicken with a truck, and you get seriously injured, is that your fault or God's fault? All right? You made the decision to do this. So you have to take responsibility for the decisions you make. But some of our suffering may not be the result of sin or, or even God's discipline. If you remember in John chapter uh, 9, Jesus runs into a man that was born uh, blind. And the disciples asked, well, who sinned, this man or his parents that caused him to, to be blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Uh, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Sin doesn't cause it. God didn't cause it to discipline the man or his parents. It happens so that God's power would be revealed, would be seen by mankind. That's what I think James, the brother of Jesus, was sort of kind of getting at uh, when he said in, in chapter 1 of his letter, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And that's what God wants from us. That's what Jesus wants from us. That's what you and I want in our own personal lives, to be complete, not lacking in any kind of faith. But typically, when others see your perseverance, when they see your mature and complete faith standing strong in the Lord, a miracle in and of itself, they begin to see God for who he truly is. When we can show the world what it's like to trust God, even during the hard times in life. Now, uh, some of the most obvious suffering comes from choices or sins of other people. Uh, if you experience a carjacking or are robbed on the street, you get hurt and someone else, you know, it was because of somebody else's decision to sin. Your, your, your teen decides to become part of the world, your spouse is unfaithful or someone uh, abuses, your, your parents divorce or a coworker lies about you or pe people gossip about something you've already repented of and be forgiven for and they're only sharing that just to kind of hurt you. You're experiencing pain because of other people's sin. And, and please understand this, some pain brought on by others may not even be intentional. They may not even know what they say or don't say, what they do or don't uh, do, ha is going to cause you any kind of harm at all. They just, they're not thinking that far ahead. And in situations like that, show them some grace as God has done for each one of us. We have wars, hunger is a form of, of suffering. But if you think about that one, the truth of the matter, we, we, we produce enough food on this planet for every human being to have 4,000 calories a day. It's not God's uh, 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 who causes. It's because of our own selfishness, our greed, our hate, our laziness, our apathy, our own irresponsibility that people are starving when God has provided fertile soil across this world uh, uh, for, and plenty of food to go around. But we're not thinking that far ahead. Sometimes hunger falls at the feet of our own choices. The Bible says, if a man doesn't want to work, then he doesn't eat. Yeah, that's a standard in the Bible. I don't like people who don't want to work because they just don't want to work. I get when people are physically ill, all that kind of stuff, but when somebody's just being downright lazy and want to sit and be a couch potato all day long, I have no tolerance for that. 
Some, some groups are religious, choose not to eat meat because they would rather worship the animal and die themselves, all right? That is outside of God's plan when it comes to food. Peter, if you remember, had that vision in, in the city of Joppa and he sees both unclean and, and clean animals and, and, and it was animals that Jews were either allowed to eat or not uh, allowed to eat. And in Acts 9, it says, then the Lord told Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. He was missing God's point here. And then the Lord spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. We can kill and eat. We can also plant and harvest and eat. Or we can do both. It's a choice you get to make. If you don't want to eat meat, fine. If you, if you, just, if you want to be, uh, or eat meat all the time, that's fine too. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. In your free will, God has given us the opportunity to use our minds and our hands to do either good or evil. It's our choice. If we choose not to work and produce or not help other people or if we choose to hurt others by our own selfish behavior, why do we then blame God for the evil or the suffering in our world? There is also an evil power that some suffering comes from. We call him our enemy, Satan himself. Uh, he, he does have some authority right now on, in our fallen world, and believe me, he will use it to steal, kill, and destroy us as Jesus said he would. Job, if you remember him, he suffered bankruptcy, the sudden death of all ten of his children. Uh, he suffered physical and, uh, misery and disease. If you remember, he had all the sores on him, and he's taking the, the pieces of pot and scraping off all the pus off his, his, his body. You, can you imagine what he was going through? It wasn't God's discipline. It, it, it wasn't Job's sin or, or, or the sin of others. It was Satan attacking him. If you remember, Paul writes to the, the Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians that, that his physical problems were from Satan. God permitted those things to happen to Paul and to Job, but he didn't cause them. And in both those situations, God was putting or pointing out to Satan that he, meaning Satan, may be able to bring suffering in this world, but God's people will persevere. They will endure and remain faithful to their Lord. Now I want to explain in a minute why Satan has that kind of control, that kind of power. All that I mentioned points to the very reason why there is suffering. We live in a fallen world. And God didn't cause it. Romans 8 says creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth since the creation of man. Suffering starts in Genesis when Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world by disobeying God, if you remember. Uh, his plan for mankind forcing the created to become out of balance with the creator. In Genesis chapter 2 it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, all their vast array, and it was good, God says. And it goes on to say, And on the seventh day God finished his work, so he rested and called that day holy and rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then Genesis chapter 3 happened, right? God's creation decided they wanted to be like him, a God in their own mind. And if you guys don't mind, I wasn't going to read this today. I'm just going to take a little extra time, sorry. But I'm going to give you the exact reason why there's pain and suffering in the world. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Genesis uh, chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from any or from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then, and then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then a man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God already knew. And he answered, well, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And God says, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, the, the, the woman that you put here. <laughs> Who said amen? <laughs> she gave me some of the fruit to, to, from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, well, the servant deceived me and I ate. See what's taking place here? Satan is trying to bring uh, this deception and, and scheming against God and trying to get them to doubt God's authority and the, each one of them are blaming other people for their own choices here. And that's what we do today. So the Lord God said to the servant, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. This is, this is a foreshadow of Christ here. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, listen to this ladies, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labors you will birth, give birth to children. That's your fault. Okay. We've already had our kids, so I don't have to worry about Miss Terry. Your desire will be for your husband. I, I really don't know what that meant. And, and he will rule over you. Ah, ladies. Again, your men rule over you because of your choice. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, you weak and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. So everything in this world is cursed because of man, men. All the days of your life you will toil uh, uh, and eat from, from, the, the, from, the, from your toil. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your, your food until you return to the ground since from it, you were taken. For dust you are dust and you will return. You see, that's the reason. God created something beautiful. And because we wouldn't listen, we wouldn't obey... We suffer the consequences for it. And there's all kinds of ramifications there, but it's just, it, it's just crazy. But this world has been messed up ever since. Droughts and floods, tornadoes and hurricanes, uh, heat waves and cold snaps, viruses and fires and tsunamis and earthquakes, polluted air, contaminated water, poisoned uh, soil and food. From the time that sin came into the world, God's creation has been out of sync with its creator. And Paul says everything that we've, we're experiencing are like the pains of a childbirth leading up to the return of our Savior Jesus Christ. And until that day we live in a fallen world and at times it's going to be painful Jesus said in Matthew 7 that the sun rises on the good and evil and rain falls on the just and the unjust the second my uncle Tony 
uh, saw me after my dad had passed, who would happen to be his brother, uh, he saw this familiar look on my face, this deep pain uh, coming from deep within my own heart. And he said this, son, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's all he said to me. That was, that was difficult, but I knew exactly what he meant. And my spirit was comforted because I knew as a child of God that God is never late, he's always on time, and he will work for the good of those who love him according to his purpose, not mine. I may not always appreciate, I don't like a lot of the things that we experience in this world, but I know who my God is and, and what's coming next, church. We know the end of the story. My point is this, if a knife with, with, with many good uses can cut bread, it can also cut your hand. The forces of gravity that keeps me grounded will not stop me as I fall out of a tree. Uh, the, the tornadoes will hit churches and homes and strip clubs. Cancer will hit, uh, uh, strike adults and children. Life will end for evil people as well as the innocent. God is not causing those problems, and he never, never promised us exemption from them. He permits them, but rarely will he step in and stop the laws of nature. That, that's hard for us to understand, especially when we're going through that raw moment in life. But Jesus was honest about facing tough times. He says in, in John 16, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulations. It's going to be difficult. And prayerfully, you know, I've given you some help in understanding the where and the why we experience the suffering, but I, I, I am also aware that you're, you're wondering, well, if God can create the universe with the breath of his mouth, why doesn't he just speak another word and end all the pain and suffering? Well, the scripture says one day he will. But we've got to, we've got to have some long suffering through the whole process here. Let me give you re some reasons why some religious system, or what some religious systems say about why God doesn't intervene, okay? Some believe that God wants to help out, but he just doesn't have the power to anymore. Uh, Rabbi Kushner says, he wrote a book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And he says that after watching his son develop a rare disease that caused him to age prematurely and die in his teens, um, that God cares, but he can't do anything about it. That, that God spoke uh, the, this world into existence uh, is powerless to change anything. And I, I guess people have the right, you know, to think that way, but they're going to be wrong. Or some religions, religious groups believe that God is apathetic towards his creation. You know, he, by thinking that, uh, that thinking uh, denies God is anything but good and, and compassion. You have polytheism and you have pantheism and you have deism all hold this view of God. And according to deism, God started it all, but he went to another universe for a cup of coffee. Another universe. I, you know, I know some of you can believe in aliens and all that other stuff. I personally don't. Because Jesus, God sent his only begotten son to earth. After, and, and naturally, you know, when, when we hear those kinds of reasons, you know, we want to find out what kind of coffee, you know, on this other planet, because it's not, the, the, the coffee here on, on our earth is, is nasty. And why would he give another earth, another planet, better coffee than us? So we got to find out what kind. But that's how our minds work. Well, it's God's fault. Well, we, got, we, we just go nuts on all this stuff instead of just trusting God's word. But Job's wife even says to him, curse God and die. What she is saying, Job, even, even if there is a God, look at yourself. He's not a good and compassionate God because of what you're going through, so just curse him and die. This is his wife. 
Some, some, of the easy, uh, some find it easy to blame God for everything bad that happens in their life or even this world. Those answers, you know, don't, the answers that I can give you today, they're, they're not always going to satisfy or help you, us understand why we think God causes suffering. For most people, it's more than just uh, understanding uh, where it comes from because pain and suffering uh, have become personal to you. You're in that moment right now, and so you need some hope, a reason to continue believing and trusting the God of all creation. So maybe we should start, uh, we should be thinking about what kind of hope that we're looking for as we're experiencing the pains and aches in this world. Temporary relief, uh, uh, something that keeps us kind of hanging on, or something that surpasses all human understanding. In Romans 5, Paul refers to a hope that does not disappoint. And don't forget what he's going through as he's writing this. But what's he talking about here? Because so far, any answer to our suffering, no matter how reasonable, is not going to satisfy us emotionally. It doesn't in the moment. Uh, Philip Yancey wrote a book called Where's God when, Where, when It Hurts? And I would encourage you to get the book. I think he's got two or three edition, new editions to it, but it's an it's a awesome book to, to read. But he talks about a good friend of his. They, he, they just got married. Uh, a, year, a year into their marriage, maybe two, they, they, again, they were very happy, and, and then, then it happened. His wife got Hodgkin's disease and was given a 50% chance to live, and after many surgeries, and a lot of treatments, long hospital stays, a lot of money, her body and her spirit began to weaken. And even, even though they were, uh, her and her husband were strong, solid Christians, doubt began to set in, anger set in, bitterness set in. Why us, God? Why? Why are you doing to us? And they even became disillusioned and angry with some of their Christian friends, uh, wondering why they haven't encouraged or comforted them as they thought they should. Because we go through that too. I've seen it happen a zillion times here. One friend from the church encouraged her to reflect on what God was trying to teach her. Well, you know, uh, what did you do to anger God like this? Because this stuff just doesn't happen. One lady showed up and, with flowers and sang some songs with her and read the scripture, prayed with her, but she left and the flowers died. Another friend stopped by telling her that God wanted to heal her because sickness uh, is never God's will and that he would heal her if she had enough faith. Another stopped by to encourage, saying, consider it pure joy when you encounter all kinds of trials. She's quoting the, the brother of Jesus. She was trying to encourage this woman that she needed to start thanking God for her suffering because it was his will for her to go through it so that other people can see how, what strong Christians do when they're suffering. You know, those are just pat answers a lot of people give. They're, they're, they're well-meaning. So again, show some grace in those moments when, when people share that with you. But that's the problem we Christians have expecting our polished answers to make the pain go away. And sometimes all we do is help create a, this atmosphere for helping others to stop having hope or even worshiping God. Even in our, in our best efforts. People do their best to encourage us, but sometimes solid truth and rational, logical answers can feel insulting and, and what... And, 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 and what we, we would expect from God when we're hurting. Sometimes it doesn't happen. And so where do we find answers to some of these questions we have about suffering? Now, personally, I'm going to stick to what God's word says, even though I don't always like it. Genesis chapter 3. 
But we've got to get back to what God says. But So let me take you, though, back to a conversation between God and Job. You guys heard a story before. Job was an emotional wreck. He was hurting physically, uh, uh, emotionally, and spiritually. He was all over the place. He was in a dark place for sure. Uh, and, and in fact, the Bible teaches or describes something about Job that one would think that would exempt him from all the suffering and pain in his world. And it says in Job chapter 1, verse 1, this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And then in verse 3, he was the greatest man among all the people of the east. And so the Bible describes Job as more than a good man. He was a great man living the exact kind of life God wanted from his creation. And yet a lot of bad things happened to this great and faithful man. He lost his wealth, his servants, his 10 children, his, his health, and some friends, and emotionally lost his own wife. And after experiencing all this pain and anguish and suffering, he decides to have this heart-to-heart -heart conversation with God, which I'm, I've always encouraged. Have that, that, that time with God. And he asks the question that we all ask when we're hurting. Why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you doing this to me? And for, for, for the parent who holds a, a flower taken off their child's casket, for the spouse who finds a note on the table communicating that they're not loved anymore, the spouse or the children who continually hear, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, for everyone who has experienced the, the pain and, and, uh, of this life, uh, Job asked the question that we all want to ask. And God did answer our questions a long time ago. Again, Genesis 3. But in Job chapter 38, and I would encourage you to go home and read the conversation. It's just awesome. But in 38, just a few verses out of this, uh, 38 through 41, have you, this is God speaking to Job, have you ever once commanded the morning to appear and cause the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever told the daylight to spread to the ends of the earth to, the end, the night's, to end the night's wickedness? Has the location of the gates of death been revealed to you? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Or tell me about the darkness and where it comes from. Can you find its boundaries or go to its source? But of course, you know all this, Job. For you were born before it was all created and you are so very experienced. You talk about a little sarcasm. And Job is allowed to answer. And I'm just going to read a couple of his answers, but again, chapters 40 on. Uh, Job says, I am unworthy. I am nothing. How, how could I ever find the answer? I, I put my hand over my mouth because I have already said too much. In verse, chapter 42, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be stopped. I, I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. God tells Job, I know what you don't know. I understand things you will never understand. I see things that you cannot see. I am God and you're not. That's your answer. And I know that sounds, you know, so parent-like and brash because I told you so. I find hope and comfort in, in God's words here, his answer. I, I don't need any more explanation knowing God already knows. All right? Our daughter, Jennifer, had a few surgeries on her legs when she was younger, and I remember her first surgery. She didn't quite understand uh, what was going to happen to her, and, and as parents, you know, that was kind of painful because I know at times she, she just didn't and wouldn't fully understand the whys. She, she was too young to understand her, her, that her daddy, why her daddy was letting these strange people poke her with these needles and, and cutting into her legs, uh, hurting, you know, uh, that hurt from the, and, and the, which created more hurt from the surgery. And even though, <clears throat> even though I, I wasn't doing it, she knew that I, I was allowing it to happen. 
Um, and each time I found myself saying things to her, you know, to, to get her to understand. And, and I wonder if God would want to sit down with us sometimes, do the same thing with us. Oh, wait a minute, he already did that through his word. He did that through Jesus. And all that stuff, Miss Terry and I assured Jennifer that we would always be by her side. A couple of times, uh, Terry was able to be in the surgery room with her. And that even brought me comfort knowing that she was there. But in John chapter 14, Jesus promises that we won't be left alone in this world, that his spirit uh, comforts us with a peace that only can come from God's presence. Jesus said in, in John 16, and Paul says in Philippians 4, that God gives us a peace that transcends all understanding. All understanding. In other words, it is impossible to explain. We, we all know of someone that has gone through some horrible suffering uh, and we think, I could never have survived it. I don't know how they did it, but they survived it. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit is translated the one who is drawn or, or called alongside. And so when you're standing at the casket of a loved one, he is beside you. When you sit in a hospital room waiting for the test results, he is beside you. And when you're going through some painful hits from this life, God is drawn up alongside of you. That's our God. When, when you are in a bad place, most people do their best, again, to, to comfort. So, again, I encourage you to give them a little grace when it doesn't always sound comforting. Because they're, they're trying. And yet, in some small way, when you hear somebody tell you that, hey, I know what you're going through. They may not know exactly what you're going through in that moment, but they've been through it. Something very similar. And, and it kind of kind of gives you a little peace. But God shares in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our pain and suffering this world. He can sympathize. Because of that truth, we get to go to further on into this word, into Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what the Holy Spirit does. On April 30th, uh, 2003, I, I had visited a home of a family who just hours before lost a son, a little brother, a grandson, and I was standing outside with the older brother, and he said this to me, and this is from a teenager, I guess God knows what mom is going through right now. That's coming from a teenager. He understood. When you hurt, God hurts. Back, back to Jen, when we wanted our little girl to know there was a reason why we were allowing this to happen, and even though she didn't quite understand it all, uh, it, I, I think it helped her to know that pain had its purpose. The original pain was letting her know there was an issue that needed to be dealt with, and the new pain was telling her that healing was now taking place. I believe God uses our pain to make us aware something physically, spiritually, emotionally needs to be healed, and that healing takes form in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. And then if you, in the next verse it says, see what this godly sorrow has brought or produced in you? And here we're talking about a spiritual issue. God wants to use our pain to help us become more Christ-like, if that makes any sense to you. Romans chapter 8, 28 says, and, if, and we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29 uh, gives God's definition of good. And so he defines good as comfort, uh, conforming us to the likeness of his son. Pain brings attention to something happening beneath the surface. 
and, it's, and, it's, and if it's dealt with properly, it, it will produce something good. That's what you'll read in, in Philip Yancey's book. It's really good stuff. But that means our pain is never in vain because he works in all things uh, uh, to produce the spiritual depth and, and peace that is beyond our human understanding. Like a loving dad who allows his child to go through what might be painful surgeries and, and proper rehab, God allows pain because he knows he can use it for our greater good. That's what he will do. Even though he didn't cause it, he will take it and bring something good out of it. He doesn't cause all things, but he will bring all things to work together for our good. We, we come out of it on the other side of this pain and suffering looking maybe a little bit more like Jesus than we did before. And as we're holding Jen's hands before surgery, or, or even your, your, you guys have experienced this, your, your kids before they get a shot, what does a kid usually do in that moment? They grab mom and dad. Who's ever there, they're going to grab and hang on for dear life, right? They, they will reach out because they're, they're afraid and they don't know what to do and they don't want to let go. And I wonder if a child's response to pain might teach us something about getting through the suffering that we experience, right? Your child begins again to cry and you get scared as they're taken away to do what needs to be done. And it breaks the heart of a parent to see their child go through this. But it doesn't mean that the parent doesn't love that child because they're allowing it to happen. I can stand up here and give you one answer after another about suffering, and some of it sounds, you know, rational and it makes sense, but I wonder if our children's responses are the best answer to any question about suffering. We experience, when we experience pain and suffering, you hang on to God, and you don't let go. You don't let go. Of all the suffering that Job experienced, without a doubt, was the death of his ten children, that, that had to have been the worst. I can't imagine that. But in chapter 1, it says, When Job heard this, he got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and, I, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, this is what's important, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Did you hear that? When we start blaming God for bad things in this world, we're sinning. And Job was blessed because he didn't blame God. And in that moment, Satan lost a battle. And it was heard across the universe. Hanging on to the promises of God was what got Habakkuk through his suffering. In Habakkuk chapter 3, he sees and experiences in real time his, his hard work going to waste, the destruction of all that he loved in life. Uh, he is disappointed, he's frustrated, nothing is turning out the way he wants. You ever feel that way? Listen to what he writes in his letter in chapter 3 verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Israel was and still is an agricultural society. And so what's he describing here is, is complete devastation, hopelessness. But we need to hear his conclusion here, what, what he did through it all. Because in his anguish, it began to help him see God for who he really is and he began to worship God. Listen to what he says. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. In his, in his turmoil, he's, he's worshiping God. 
And so church, when we experience pain, when we, when we smell complete devastation all around us, when the vines are empty and the fields are bare and the livestock are gone, hang on to God. You have to hang on to God. Listen to the story of David and Bathsheba. You're familiar with it, right? 2 Samuel chapter 12, God had told David that his son uh, would become sick and die. God could have intervened, but he didn't, even this great king of Israel. And so, so dad is overwhelmed with grief, hearing of what God said. And so David did what all followers of a God do. He got down on his knees and he prayed and he begged God to heal his son. And in verse 12, 16, it says, David pleaded with God for, his, for the child. He fasted and went up to the house and spent the night lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him uh, to get up uh, from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat anything, any food. And this is pretty much what a loving parent does. And it's been the same routine since the time of David. But look at what David did when he didn't get the answer he wanted for all of his prayers and suffering. It says in verse 18, on the seventh day the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, well, when he was alive, you know, uh, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him that his child is dead? He may do something desperate. This is the greatest king of Israel that God hand chose. He is in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, but he was not exempt. David noticed that his servants were whispering among them, and he realized that his child died. Is the child gone? Yes, they replied, he's dead. And then David got up from the ground, and after he had washed, he put on uh, uh, lotion and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord to what? To worship. Instead of pushing God away, he hung on and he worshiped God with greater joy and peace. When my parents both died each time I was here, setting up here in front, the Sunday after they died, I was in the house of the Lord to worship and to preach the word of God. It was difficult. I didn't want to be here, but I knew I had to be. Go into the house of the Lord to worship. In Romans 8, Paul was experiencing incredible trials and suffering, but he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Most of you know Lindell. That's pretty much what he's been saying this last week. He, know his, he knows his time's coming, but he's got something greater coming. We, we can endure a lot of suffering if we know there is a joyful ending, a light at the end of the tunnel, a, a reward for being faithful during those times of testing. Paul again writes, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. John writes in Revelation 21 about the end result of remaining faithful through all of our pain in this world. God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. That's our hope, church. I'm still learning as to why bad things happen to good people, but... I have more of a struggle with why do good things happen to bad people. I haven't won a lottery lot yet. Why do I always hear this, you know, I mean, I mean that gets a little stupid, but you understand where I'm going with it. I, I don't know uh, uh, that I will ever get a, a satisfying answer in my lifetime to that question. But God knows, and so I can take comfort in that. Next week, we're going to talk about having a forgiving heart. A little more difficult situation here towards those who have hurt us as God has done for us in our sin against him. I'm going to talk about something that happened back in the 60s 
And it all falls right in line with one of the reasons we experience suffering in this world and how I navigated through and came to the conclusion to forgive and not be used as an instrument of destruction or allow that experience to destroy Tim's story. Let's stand, let's worship our loving and compassionate God. Let me pray before Chris gets started here. Father God, we thank you. We love you. I thank you, Father, for your words. We don't always understand what, uh, what, what, you're, what, you're, what you've, your Holy Spirit has inspired these men to write, Father. We don't always like it either. But I pray, Father, that you will help us to have that spirit of, of peace and joy that surpasses all human understanding, and that only comes through our Savior, Jesus. Father, we come to you and worship again. We thank you again for who you are, your grace, your mercy, and your salvation through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.